0: This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in
1: Tennessee discussing the brutal rape and murder of a Marine. Then, we'll talk about a case of abuse and murder that local media won't touch. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Volunteer State.
0: Marine training includes drill exercises, physical exercises, personal combat, and intensive marksmanship qualifications. Basic training lasts 13 weeks. The final culmination of this program results in an individual who's knowledgeable about military core values and tactics and is physically fit to complete any task. The Marine Corps members are called Marines, not soldiers. They go through a much more intense basic training than those do in the Army, creating a reputation for some of the toughest and most highly trained fighters. But even this specialty training was no match for what was to come for the woman in my story. Suzanne Marie Collins was the only daughter of an American Foreign Service officer and attorney, Jack Collins and his wife, Trudy, who adopted both Suzanne and her older brother, Stephen. The Collins family had lived in Greece, then Madison, Wisconsin, before eventually settling
1: in Springfield, Virginia. Could you imagine moving from Greece to Madison, Wisconsin? No. No. F- the opposite. Right. We're the opposite. No. Right. It's a culture shock, I feel like. Also, I did not know there was a Springfield, Virginia. I didn't either. There's a lot of them. I knew that, but I didn't know that was one of them. Sorry. There's a ton of Springfields. Mm-hmm. Suzanne was popular and outgoing in school and was a very devoted student. She spent high school playing sports and socializing and did not have any college prospects when she graduated. Same girl. No shame. No shame. She knew she didn't want to go to the local community college and live at home and work a minimum wage job, so she joined the Marines, which I think's the coolest fucking thing ever. I wish I would have had the balls to do that. Uh, I couldn't have. I can't have... I don't want anyone yelling at me. No, I'd be I crying. No, I do too. I instantly. I know a lot of people may think I want to fight when you scream at me, <laughs> but I break down in tears. I don't like people <laughs> don't yelling like my- at me. I wouldn't have worked out in the, <laughs> in any of it. No. So this definitely surprised everyone.
0: Her family, her friends, for real. Her high school teachers. They wanted to know why she would do this, and she said that she wanted to challenge herself, and the Marines were the very best.
1: Oh, oh boy. So, in June of 1984, she graduated high school, turned 18, and began basic training at Paris Island, South Carolina. She went through the grueling boot camp with ease, and she was like, hey, maybe I need to give the military some serious thought about my future and career. Mm-hmm. So, she planned to go to the Naval Academy and then become part of the first class of female Marine fighters. So, basically, she was a badass. She was really hoping by then that the restriction on females in aerial combat positions would be lifted. And as her first step, she applied and was accepted to the Marines' Avionics Training Program. Nice. So, on October 20th, 1984, Private First Class Susan Collins reported to Naval Air Station in Memphis, which is located in Millington. So, it's about 10 miles outside of Memphis. Okay. In Tennessee. In Tennessee. Okay. Like you pass through Millington on your way to Nashville.
0: It's not far. Like you pass through the exit to go to Millington, like on your way to Ikea in Mm. Memphis. For those of you familiar with this area. (laughs)
1: I'm familiar with that (laughs) Ikea.
0: So as a major training center for both Navy and Marines, the base covers nearly 4,000 acres and both the active duty and retired military personnel
1: live here. By the spring of 1985, Suzanne had been promoted to Lance Corporal and the Honor Deck, which is a ceremonial troop of the most motivated students. The students selected for the Honor Deck had maintained a top academic average. Suzanne was the first female Marine at the air station in Memphis to be named for the Honor Deck. Wow. This obviously led to teasing and harassment by not only male Marines, but other females as well bunch of bitches. Water off a duck's back. Mm-hmm. It didn't mess Suzanne up either way. She Haters gonna hate. Right. She took it, stuck it out, whatever. She was scheduled to graduate on Friday, July 12th and was being assigned to Cherry Point, North Carolina from there. But, unfortunately, her boyfriend and best friend had both been assigned to California. Hmm. Man, she was hoping that once they all reported to their new duty assignments, that there would be a way for her to get transferred out Mm -hmm. to California to be with them. So Thursday, July 12th, regular day, she was duty NCO for the day, which is basically checking people in and out and doing hourly rounds of buildings and recording anything she found in the logbooks. So once Suzanne was off duty that night, she decided to get some exercise. She took off on a run around 10 p.m., but before she left, she told her friend she'd only been gone for about a half an hour. Around 11 p.m., PFC Michael Howard and PFC Mark Shotwell had seen Suzanne jog by them. They'd noticed a station wagon with its high beams on, and a little while later, they heard a female voice screaming, Don't touch me. Leave me alone. <sighs> so both run in the direction of the screams which was the same direction the car had been headed but just as soon as they started running they were blinded by oncoming headlights so once they got their bearings again from the lights blinding them the car was gone and they couldn't tell exactly where the screams had come from so it, wow. it's black dark yeah. you know they're like well we don't know but nevertheless they did go to the nearest base gate and told the guard on duty What they had heard and what had happened. So the guard calls base security and he says, You know, I had seen that very car, that station wagon. A man was driving it and had his arm around a woman sitting next to him in the front seat.
0: So the guard remembered the
1: car did have Kentucky plates, so a bolo was issued for the base, the Millington Police Department, and the Shelby County Sheriff's Department. The car was located around midnight by a chief of watch for the base. He had actually got into his own car and went to search for this car himself. He stopped it and brought the driver back to the security office. The driver was 29-year-old Sedley Alley. He was a large lad, 6'4", 220. His wife Lynn was enlisted in the Navy and worked on base. She was also brought in for questioning. Sedley said that the screams the men heard were he and his wife fighting. It was just a simple domestic dispute. Hmm. So no big deal. But okay. they were fine now. His wife corroborated his story. They were both released because there was nothing to hold them on. Right. I mean, you can argue and fight and scream. It's not. They didn't want to press charges. Well, so there was there's no reason. There was not. Yeah. There was nothing to hold them on. Mm-hmm. So the two men that had reported it at the station were still there giving their reports to, you know, riding everything out. At the same time, they heard Sedley start up his station wagon and leave. And they both said they were 100% positive that that was the car they had seen because the muffler was making a loud noise. <laughs> they told them, look, I don't know what they told you, but it was a lie. That's not what happened. But at this point, there's nothing to be done. There was no body. No right. one had reported anybody missing. No one had seen anything. So they tell him, you know, thank you. You can go back on your way. Suzanne's roommate woke up around 5 a.m. and discovered that her bed had not been slept in. She immediately called base security, and they issued an APB for the base, with Millington Police Department and also the Shelby County Sheriff's Department. Suzanne was only officially reported missing for an hour before her body was found. Wow. Trigger alert. This is super... An hour? An hour. This is going to be super brutal, so if you want to skip ahead. Deputies found Suzanne at Edmund Orgel Park, right off base. She was face down, 150 feet from the road. Her t-shirt, shorts, underwear, socks, and shoes, along with her exercise belt, were laying around her. There was also a pair of men's red underwear laying next to her body. Her head was bloody and her left eye was swollen shut. The injuries on her head and face were so brutal that the photographs the Navy security personnel had provided to the authorities could not identify her. Oh my gosh. She had bite marks on her left breast, bruising on both shoulder blades and scratches from her shoulder all the way down to her waist. <sighs> but it gets worse. After the medical examiner completed his autopsy, he determined that bruising on her neck suggested that she had been strangled, but that's not what killed her. Oh man, I... <sighs> She had been beaten so badly that her skull was fractured which should have killed her but she was still alive when her killer took a beveled tree limb over 31 inches in length which is roughly the size of a yardstick and an inch and a half in diameter and shoved it so forcefully into her vagina oh my god that it tore through her perineum and abdomen and punctured one of her lungs Causing oh a massive hemorrhage, and that is what killed her. Mm. you would have to use so much force to do that that's yeah, i- I didn't even honestly know that was possible to do something like that manually, like the lungs punctured her lungs and caused a hemorrhage, ripped oh her God. stomach. And she was still alive, yes, according to the medical examiner's opinion, the injuries to Suzanne's skull could have been caused by the rounded end of a screwdriver which was found near the scene, not the pointed end. <sighs> he went on to say that this was one of the worst things he had ever seen in his life. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard. It's it's awful. <sighs> the graduation ceremony for Marine Aviation Support Squadron 902 on Friday, July the 12th, was very solemn. The f- I'm going to tear up. Who would do that? The flags were flown at half staff. On Wednesday, July 17th, a memorial service was held at the base chapel. Suzanne's commanding officer officiated. A lone bugler played taps at the end, which left everyone in tears. Her casket had to be closed because she was Mm. beaten so badly. On Thursday, July 18th, 1985, Suzanne Marie Collins was laid to rest with a full military honor in Arlington National Cemetery. Several witnesses recall hearing death screams coming from the park around the same time that Suzanne had died. When the chief of watch heard Suzanne's body was found, he immediately issued an order that Sedley Allen be arrested by two military police officers. His car was impounded and bloodstains were found inside and outside the vehicle, Type O, which is the same type of Suzanne and Sedley. Napkins from a restaurant chain were found next to Suzanne's body. They were also found in his car. So, mm. like McDonald's napkins or something. Yeah. Also, there was a stolen air conditioner pump taken from a house near where Suzanne's had been running. So he was in the area. Oh my gosh. He did not know anything about this or being involved in any way and asked for an attorney. While waiting for his attorney, though, he changed his mind and said he wanted to try to explain what had happened. Uh, you think you can explain that, sir? Uh-uh-uh. He consented, and his whole statement was recorded. He said his wife, Lynn, had gone to a Tupperware party with friends, leaving him home alone. He missed his parents and his two kids who lived in Kentucky and became very angry, so he proceeded to get drunk at home, and when he ran out of alcohol, he decided to run up to the liquor store. But instead of going home afterwards, he drove north to the military base and parked in a lot near the golf course. He said he decided to run and took off towards Navy Lake, and that's when he saw Suzanne. She was jogging and caught up to him at the lake. He said they had a short chat before running back to his car together. He said she then kept going towards the gate on Navy Road, which is a narrow roadway and it's straight, but then he said he pulled
0: out and left and accidentally hit her. Suzanne screamed and rolled on the ground. He said he put her in his car to take her to the hospital, but she called him a drunk
1: bastard and threatened to turn him into the cops. So he was pissed and drove to Edward Orgel Park, held her down hit her, and then he took a screwdriver that he kept in the car and stabbed her in the side of the head with it. That's not what happened. Oh my gosh. He said he did not have sex with Suzanne. He didn't even attempt to, but he wanted it to look like a sexual assault so they wouldn't figure out what really happened. He said he took off her clothes, dragged her over by the tree, and broke off a tree limb and then pushed it inside her. He then ran to his car and drove away. After this, he voluntarily went with officers over to where he said it happened, and he he was able to identify the tree that the broken limb had came from, but his recollection of the murder was nowhere near accurate. He told his court-appointed attorney that he didn't remember anything. So a clinical psychologist from Middle Tennessee Mental Health Institute examined him on November the 7th. He said he did not have an accurate opinion on Allie's sanity because he claimed to have amnesia, but he did think he might have multiple personality disorder. No. So he referred him to Dr. Allen Battle, and for the next 3 months he was at the Middle Tennessee Mental Health Institute, where he was examined by Dr. Willis Marshall and Dr. Alan Battle. While under hypnosis and under the influence of sodium amytal. it was Dr. Marshall's opinion that he had at least one alternative personality, possibly two. One was called Billy, and the other was called Power Slash Death. What? Oh my god. Dr. Marshall said that if either of those personalities had been in charge during Suzanne's murder, that he would not have known the wrongfulness of his actions, and he couldn't say for certain that any personality other than Allie's was in control that night. Neither doctor believed that he was faking it. Dr. Battle, who had treated more than a dozen cases of multiple personalities disorders, hypnotized Allie on three different occasions before diagnosing him with a multiple personality disorder. He believed that he was suffering with this condition since July 1985, but couldn't say whether an alternate personality was in control the night of Suzanne's abduction and murder. So another clinical psychologist at the Middle Tennessee Mental Health Institute examined him interpreted the psychological test and said, in his opinion, that he was exaggerating it all. He believed he had borderline personality disorder with a chronic history of drug and alcohol abuse. But he found no evidence of multiple personality disorder or psychosis. I'm deep diving in those first two psychologists. I don't I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So his trial began in March of nineteen eighty seven. After ten days of testimony, The 12 jurors found him guilty of first-degree murder, aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated rape. They did not buy the personality bit at all. He was sentenced to death on May 17, 1987, plus 80 years. His execution was set for September eleventh, but for nearly 20 years, his defense team fought this. Appeal after appeal after appeal. Suzanne's family and many others felt like this was an abuse of the system. Her parents went on talk shows and spoke before Congress. Her dad joined the Justice Department as a special assistant to the director of office for victims of crime. In January of 2004, a new execution date was set for June 3rd of 2004. He changed his claim of not guilty by insanity. To just that he was not guilty, he recanted his confession, claimed ho- claimed coercion by police, and requested that DNA testing be done on the physical evidence. On May thirty first, two thousand six, the court denied the petition for DNA testing They never tested the DNA ever. Though ever, I mean. I'm not defending him. He's a scumbag. No, and I'm going to get into that. They should have done that. I will get into that, but yes, they never tested it. Um, The court denied the petition for that, and the new execution date was set for June 28, 2006. So the Innocence Project co-founder Barry Skek, is the one who got involved and wanted the DNA testing done. On June 26th, a final appeal was made and denied. On June 27th, he was moved to a holding cell at Riverbend Maximum Security in Nashville. On June 28th, at 1.46 a.m., he was brought into the execution chamber where he said goodbye to his adult daughter and son, told them he loved them, and they needed to stay strong and stay together through all of this, which is horrible as a child i can't mm-hmm. imagine a knowing that your parent was potentially a monster right. and b seeing them yeah put That's, to death mm-hmm. awful yeah that is really terrible Suzanne's family did not attend the execution they sent mm-hmm. someone in their place like a yeah whatever the word is called i'm too disheveled in my mind right now mm-hmm. to think of it mm-hmm. So, the lethal injection was administered at 2.12 a.m. He was pronounced dead. Suzanne would have turned 40 years old that same month. So, lots of questions. So, not defending him. 100% think he's a scumbag if he did this. There was no physical evidence linking him to the murder. His recollection of the attack on her did not match up to any of the autopsy results or finding at the crime scene. Tennessee prosecutors argued that there were other factors proving that Allie was the killer, and that DNA alone would not have been enough to prove his innocence, which is why they say they shouldn't test it. Senior Assistant Attorney General Andrew Colem told the three judge panel that it need look no further than the plain language of the law to see that Sedley Alley's estate is not entitled to seek testing. Since his execution, his daughter has become very active with the Innocence Project, trying to basically get his name cleared. And they don't see the point in it. They said a probate estate is not a person, and certainly not a person, convicted of a crime. Paul Clement, who represents Sedley's estate, his daughter, argued that the purpose of Tennessee's DNA Analysis Act is to exonerate the innocent and to identify the true perpetrators of an offense. Both purposes continue to be served even after a person has served his sentence and or been executed. Clement noted that the state is required to preserve the evidence even after an execution. What is the point of doing that if the evidence cannot be tested? Cullum argued that both the state and the victim's family have the right to finality of judgment. At some point, it has to end. Victims should not receive a call 12 or 13 years after the death of the defendant to be told it's starting again. (sighs) Which I get that too. Clement countered the victim's interest is not served if the wrong person is convicted and the real perpetrator is at large. So in 2003, an investigator found a previously undisclosed handwritten note from the medical examiner estimating that Suzanne had died after Sedley Alley had been sent home and was under surveillance by the police. So after the cops brought him in for questioning, after the people said they heard the scream and Mm. reported it, and he and his wife were brought in and said, That was us screaming at each other, and then we left. Okay. And then he went home, and they were watching him. Because remember, once they found her body, he told the military police officer, go ahead and bring him in. Because they had been watching him. But the wife, was she at the Tupperware party? There were other people at the party, so shouldn't they be able to say she was or wasn't there? But he's saying all that took place, I guess, after the Tupperware party. Because he... But he changed his story. So it's it's hard to follow, I know. But the medical examiner, which I know that time of death can be wrong, is saying that the time of death would have been, was later than when those guys heard the scream and he had already been brought in and was sent home. Does that make sense? Could she have been... Alive, barely, until then? I mean, I'm sure. Like, not actually right. dead, dead right. but... Right, no, right, no, I see what you're saying. I so- mean, I know her injuries were pretty severe. I don't know how long it would take you to... Oh, God, no. Yeah, I don't even want to guess. So, five years after Sedley Alley's execution, the Tennessee Supreme Court ruled that the denial of Allie's petition... To test the physical evidence, especially the men's underwear that were found at the crime scene for DNA, was an error. The Supreme Court found that Allie did, in fact, have the right to try to prove his innocence through DNA testing. So they petitioned the court. It went up to the Supreme Court from the state. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, y'all should have done that. They should have also after this. Well, I guess he had gone home first. I was going to say, see if he was wearing underwear. No. Well, they hadn't found her body yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just realized that. So, but yeah. So in April of 2019, Sedley's daughter, April, through the Innocence Project, petitioned the Shelby County Criminal Court for DNA testing that was denied to her father. She had been turned against her father by family members and had no contact with him until Mm. reconnecting with him in her 20s. Her petition was dismissed in November with a judge stating she did not have a standing to bring the petition on behalf of her father's estate. But by that time, there was another story breaking with another potential suspect. What? In November of 2018, a man entered a St. Louis religious supply shop. What is that? Posing as a customer. He later returned with a gun and at gunpoint ordered the three women inside in a back room where he sexually assaulted two of them and then fatally shot the third one in the head after she refused to comply. A two-day manhunt for the killer ended with the arrest of 53-year-old Thomas Bruce, who was charged with 17 felonies. Authorities were shocked to discover that Bruce, a former Missouri pastor and U.S. Navy veteran, had no prior criminal history. They began looking through his background, and in 1985, Bruce attended the same avionics school in Millington, Tennessee that Suzanne Collins had. Oh my God, I don't even know what to think now. Military records showed that Bruce had been stationed at Cali- in California right before Suzanne had been killed. So I don't know if he was necessarily there at the time. I was looking into all of this mm-hmm. and it just, I couldn't make sense of it all. Nothing was telling me exactly where he was. At the time of the murder, investigators contacted Barry Skeg of the Innocent Project with the information in early 2019. Bruce's trial was originally set for October 20th of 2020, but then delayed due to COVID. And then finally, in February of 22, Thomas was sentenced to life in prison after being convicted of first-degree murder, sodomy, kidnapping, and other crimes in relation to the 2018 attacks on the Catholic supply store. Sedley Alley remains guilty of abducting and murdering Suzanne Collins. In the years since Suzanne's murder, her family has established a scholarship in her memory, and a Suzanne Collins perpetual scholarship was first awarded in 1996. So, so he's never confessed to... No. Oh, man, no. That is quite the coincidence. You know what? I'm not trying to bark up the wrong tree here, but here I am. Oh boy. This is the second case that I have covered in Shelby County where DNA testing has been denied to these prisoners. And it doesn't make any fucking sense. I am not an attorney. I know just enough about law and the court system from my friends who are attorneys and ex who is an attorney to fuck shit up. I don't know it all. I'm not going to pretend like I do, but it doesn't make any sense how you can just say we're we're not going to test that. If DNA exists both for the defense and the prosecution, you should both want it, in my opinion. If, I would if think. If you are actually innocent, you should want the want it tested if you're a prosecution you should also want it tested i don't i don't know i don't get it It to me whether he did it didn't do it the, awful the completely, correct person needs to be yeah. found we don't just need we've said this before you don't just need a body in a cell or to put someone to death you want to punish the correct person right. the the dna should have been tested as soon as well, in 1984, there wasn't the DNA testing. Right. We ran across That's, this yeah. with the mm-hmm. um, other other story that we covered in Tennessee, the Purvis Payne story, where the DNA testing wasn't available mm-hmm. back then. But as soon as it was, and they started petitioning for it to be tested, both in Purvis Payne's case and in this case, and they're just like, "No, no, why? What are you afraid of? I mean." I, I wonder the same thing. It's just, this is one of those cases that it's very easy for you to fall down a rabbit mm-hmm. hole and try to find. I, I feel like in all cases, especially me, I don't know if you do this, but true crime people, we want DNA. We want all yes. the evidence. We want it to be 100% accurate. And I realize that sometimes that's just not the case. That yeah, you can have enough evidence that you don't need anything else. Yeah, and maybe DNA won't solve anything, but if it exists, maybe if it exists, why not? Right. And even though this guy was a potential fucking terrible person, I hope they got the right guy. His daughter's not. Yeah, and that will give her. You know, I get that, and I'm not being disrespectful whatsoever. To Suzanne Collins' family. That is horrible. Oh, yeah. I cannot imagine. Don't want to. It's awful the amount of heartbreak that her family went through. What she went through. But the children also of this man, his daughter, her heart's broken, too, for Mm -hmm. a completely different reason. So should she not get? I can completely do you see, see what I'm saying? why she would want to fight for her sure. father. And I do think, I'm not saying her specifically, but I used to watch that one show, Reasonable Doubt. And the families always have rose-colored glasses on. Of course they about do. About their parents, sure. their friends. Their children. I would, too. I wouldn't want to think that. But at the same time, sometimes they are innocent mm-hmm. and they deserve to fight for them. Right. Right. And she, didn't right she didn't do anything She didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. She just wants answers, For and I, it just blows my mind that that the judicial system can be like, fuck no, we're not going to do it. Nope, sorry. Next. Call back to your phrase, it's the judicial reach-around. It's the judicial reach-around, 100 fucking percent. Man. Anyways. I need to go down a rabbit hole, too. I have so many thoughts and questions. It's, it's a lot. a mm, break. Right. Yeah, we do. Okay. Man. That case was rough, and now I'm just going to have to tell you another one. It sucks. So, this case was brought to us by a friend working with the family involved in the case. And it's freaking unbelievable. I mean, you looked into this case, too, so you know it's... It's a doozy. There's a lot going on. He forwarded a Medium article written by Shannon Ashley about this case and a bunch of other sources that I'll link up in the show notes. And he said local media won't touch this case, and you're about to hear why. Aaron Solomon was a morning news anchor for WSMV Channel 4 News from 1996 to 2011. So this is the local news channel for Nashville, Tennessee. So a lot of people are watching. It's not like it's Podunk Town, you know? In 2014, Aaron became a financial advisor for the investment management for Merrill Lynch. Heard of it? I have, but I don't invest <laughs> I because I'm poor. So <laughs> He was also super involved in volunteer work and was a volunteer board member from 2006 to 2019 for Our Kids Center, which is a Nashville-based nonprofit organization that provides expert medical evaluations In crisis counseling for victims of child sexual abuse. Aaron had two kids with his ex-wife Angie Solomon. Grant was born in 2002, and Gracie was born in 2006. Aaron and Angie ended up divorcing in 2014, and it was not pretty, to say the least. Angie had accused Aaron of abuse several times in court since 2013. On the night of May 9th, 2013, Angie alleged that Aaron had tried to hang her with a blow dryer cord in the bathroom of their home. She said that Aaron hit her on the right side of her head and knocked her into the bed. After the incident, Aaron called 911 and said Angie tried to hang herself with the blow dryer cord. Oh my God. Because of this, she was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. You're going to get real mad. She was released the next day, and in the discharge summary, the doctor wrote, I evaluated her extensively the next day. It was under my impression that the patient was telling the truth about the situation that she was in a risky situation with her husband, who appeared to be possibly volatile and violent. The patient was not started on any medications, as it did not appear that she was in any kind of depressed state Or in need of any acute psychiatric treatment. That same day, after being released from the hospital, Angie filed for and was granted a temporary order of protection against her husband, which was delivered to him on the morning of May 12th. The next day, on May 13th, Aaron filed for divorce. On May 14th, Aaron filed for and was granted a temporary restraining order against his wife, with the presiding judge Judge Philip Smith, also prohibiting Angie from being in possession of their children. Infuriating. Oh, it is. On June 7th, so a month has passed, he sought a continuance of that restraining order, and it was ultimately granted by Judge Smith on July 13th. On on what grounds, do you know? What grounds for her to not be around her children. He probably used the well she was the psychiatric. Upright, yeah. He right. said so in the ruling, the judge said the court did not believe her testimony, and the court does believe that Miss Solomon attempted to commit suicide. Quote. Judge Smith also said the court is quite concerned about the safety of the minor children, even in a supervised setting with the mother. I'm sorry, what? In a supervised setting? After a professional said she's fine, I believe her, and she's not depressed. They're still like, you know what? We don't, we still, no. She's a liar. Right. That's exactly what (sighs) um, Daniel Broderick did, accused Betty (sighs) Broderick of, and put her in a psych hospital and did all that. And while she was in the hospital, filed, went to the court, filed all the paperwork and took their children from her after claiming she was a Looney Tune, which (sighs) just. Hearing, uh, my whole neck is red. Like it's it's the, such, it's like gaslighting by the system, even. Old judicial reach around. Oh here again, Every here we case. go. So this ruling prohibited Angie Solomon from receiving any parenting time with her children until she submitted to a psychological evaluation. Like the one she was mm-hmm. in wasn't enough, give me right. Bite. On October 7th, Dr. Bradley Freeman... Released his full psychiatric report on Angie. It read After reviewing the information collected, there is ample evidence to suggest that Dr. Solomon is a fully capable parent. She was Dr. Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. There is no data to indicate that Dr. Solomon is at risk for harming her children. The collateral sources, her self report, and the report of her husband contain no information. That suggests she might be abusive, neglectful, or harmful to the children. So a second professional thinks she's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It just pisses me off so much. But the court's like, nah. Was he in cahoots with this judge? He's friends with everyone in Nashville. Of course he fucking is. You gotta love the good old boy system. This is 100%. He was a news anchor. Yeah. Not me. I couldn't do anything wrong. (sighs) It's just. She's crazy. She's the crazy one. It makes me so mad. It's not enough that you have endured abuse by your spouse who is supposed to love you. Then he also tries to kill you. Then he also has you admitted to a side place. And then you're going to take from me the one thing that means the most to me in the world, my children. Mm -hmm. Get the fuck out of here. This is a wild ride. After this, Angie was granted two hours of supervised visitation a week. Couldn't imagine. Could not imagine only getting to see Max two hours a week. This is absolutely absurd and I don't even know what to say. Court proceedings would continue throughout the duration of 2013 and into 2014 with a social worker and two medical experts testifying to Angie Solomon's mental state during a hearing on May 30th, 2014. Dr. Michael Reed, the psychiatrist treating Angie, testified that her prognosis is excellent. He also said that Aaron had done a masterful job in confusing the court about his wife's actual mental health. Basically, you're a dick. This just, he noted that multiple comments made by both children had led him to believe they suffered severe emotional repercussions and that they were fearful of their father. Ruth Smith, a licensed psychologist, had treated Angie since March of 2014 and testified that she believed Angie had PTSD from the abuse of marriage that she had been in since 2001 and that there was no reason why she shouldn't be able to see her kids without supervision. So what do you think the judge did? With all these professionals that don't know Aaron or Angie prior to this... Ruled in favor of Aaron. Yep. He ruled that the children would be placed in the custody of Aaron On June 30th, 2014, and Angie could have visitation once a week for six hours, and it had to be supervised. It makes you go, what the actual fuck? There are women out here with postpartum depression who are clearly not well, who actually go and get the help themselves, and the husbands blow them off and are like, you're fine, you're fine, here, keep the kids. And then they do horrible things to their children because they have been telling you, and nobody listens to them. This woman's doing the same thing. She's telling them it's so something horrible. (sighs) This has happened to me, and they're just not believing not believing her. It's it's too much. I was shocked by all of this, honestly. And during all of this, Angie levied a series of allegations against Aaron that he was also abusing their two children. On November twenty first, two thousand and fourteen. Angie filed a petition in juvenile court to declare her children neglected and to request temporary emergency custody. In the petition, she alleged that her daughter, Gracie, then eight years old, told her that Aaron would penetrate her. I'm sorry, this is this is getting bad. He would penetrate her with a bar of soap while bathing her. She told her mom this when she was eight. Yeah, this eight year old baby. Let me tell you, you would just need to stop right there. Because I'm not trying to go there either, but I would have killed him. (sighs) Don't fuck with my kid. I'm telling you. And it's more infuriating because the judge is like, no, it's him. The mom's the bad one. It's so absurd. (sighs) And she told her mom that he would require Gracie to sleep in his bed with her against her wishes. And he would insist on going to the bathroom with her, wiping her and giving her a bath. She's eight. Oh, my God. Time. Wiping her. I hate the story so much. And Angie stated that on a visit to their family physician, the doctor found excessive ketones in Grant's urine sample, which is a sign that he was suffering from malnutrition and wasn't eating enough food on a daily basis. He was also showing early signs of muscle atrophy. <gasps> and this kid involved in sports. Tall, healthy, and then suddenly it's like, what? Regardless, this battle went on for years and Aaron kept custody of the kids. Years, years. Williamson County Circuit Court Judge Deanna Johnson, wife of Tennessee Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson, I'll be talking about these people later, found Angie Solomon's continued claims to be without merit and ruled on January ninth, 2019, that Angie could not file any future civil actions against her ex-husband for a period of six years. So she can't file anything. I didn't even know you could do that. My whole body is hot right now. It's about to get hotter. I'm so sorry. On the morning of Monday, July 20th, 2020, Grant was reportedly hit by his own truck in a parking lot accident 15 minutes before his alleged scheduled baseball practice in Franklin, Tennessee. He had turned 18 a month prior. According to Aaron, his father, Grant parked his truck at the Ward Performance Institute and went to get his baseball gear from the bed of his truck when all of a sudden his truck, a white Toyota Tacoma, rolled backward and dragged him across the pavement, down a small hill, and into a rocky ditch. What do you mean it? Went out of gear. It just roll, started rolling, essentially, and dragged him under the car. That makes zero sense. And this I'm not w- saying that to you, but it's like, you get out, you put your car in gear. Was it a stick shift? It was not. It was parked. So in park. It was in park, and the ignition was off. You can't even turn it off unless it's in park. I'm so mad right now. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Grant was thin and athletic, but he was pretty tall. He was 6'4". 210 pounds, so he wasn't tiny. Right. And this was also the first time in two years that he had been alone with his father. (sighs) Hmm. Aaron said that he was parked right next to Grant and was in his own vehicle when he realized what was going on. He said he was checking work emails on his phone. So Aaron called 911 at 844 from the parking lot and Grant was taken to the hospital by an ambulance where he was pronounced dead before 9.30 a.m. According to the medical examiner, Grant's cause of death was cardiac arrest. He had blunt force trauma to the back of his head and traumatic brain injury. Oh, I know. I know. From the fall from the truck running him over? Exactly. So... We don't typically play 911 calls, but I might add it in here because, and I know it doesn't mean anything. People react differently. I don't know. But if you want to skip it, I'll put a timestamp in the notes. It's call Please hurry. You said 57? Please hurry. Okay,
2: what's 13, going on? 57. Uh, My my son's truck backed over him, and it's rolled over him and dragged him into the ditch, and it's on top of him. He's trapped under the truck, and I... I, Yeah, he... he, Somehow it dragged him underneath it. Yes, my son is under it. I'm trying to... No, I'm, I'm trying to call 911.
3: Okay, what's your name?
2: Oh, my goodness. My name is Aaron Solomon.
3: And you said oh my you're God. At
2: 1357 South
3: Quarter Avenue, right? Yes. How
2: old yes. is the male? He's 18. He just turned 18 a couple of weeks, about a month ago. It's my son. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is not good. Is he awake? And oh, please hurry. To you? I don't. No, I don't think so. He's not. Oh, he's not alert, right? No, he's out. And he's trapped. I got. Three guys here, and he's trapped under the truck. Okay.
3: Oh my God. I understand, sir. Stay on the phone with me while we get somebody out there. What's your name? Aaron Solomon. All right,
2: Aaron. Huh? What
3: kind of vehicle
2: is it? It's a Toyota Tacoma. Tacoma, and it the, the vehicle has to. He's underneath the vehicle.
3: Okay, I've
2: got, okay, got that. And
3: okay. I've got that. What
2: color is it? It's a white truck. That's my son. It's somehow it backed up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on. I'm on, I'm on with nine one one right now. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god.
3: Was your son working on it?
2: no no he was just getting out of it it's the hill it's we're on an incline and i guess he didn't have it in park or something or it wasn't engaged or oh my god oh my god i can't believe not no no and he's
3: still
2: like
3: no. no one can get in yes. from under it no, it's We've no. We saw units around to you. I'm just asking you questions before we can huh? update him, okay? Can you check and see huh?
2: he's breathing? I, I, somebody's telling me that he's coming too.
3: Okay, Maybe. he is. He's waking up, trying to keep him still. So he is. Oh, he can't, yeah, he can't move. I don't think he can move. I, I don't know. Okay. No, he they, can't move his trap. Okay.
2: Well, we got somebody in route. Now, would he wakes I, up? He might I'm be telling scared. him, Can somebody come there and talk to him? Yeah, somebody talked to him. They're... Shit. Gee, there's blood. Wait, is he facing up or down? He's facing up. They said he may aspirate. We need to hurry. Oh, my God. So, does he have
3: blood coming out of his mouth?
2: Yeah, yeah, there's blood coming out. Yeah, somehow it drug him down, I think. I don't know whether it wasn't in his heart or blood or if it didn't engage the brain or it drug him underneath somehow. Okay. They said he's facing up. Okay. But he's bleeding from his mouth. So, Grant, turn your face to the side if you can, barely, but be careful.
3: Don't move him, Okay. We
2: can't move
3: him. We can't. We can't move him. All right, he's in there, there. I'm gonna let you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay.
1: All right. Uh-huh, if he didn't listen, Aaron called and said, quote, "My son's truck backed over him. It's rolled over him and drug him into the ditch, and it's on top of him. He's not alert. He's trapped. I got three guys here." and he's trapped under the truck. Aaron stood at the top of the hill to call dispatch while these other men were in the ditch trying to help Grant as he was dying. Any parent listening knows that is complete bullshit. You could not keep a parent from trying to help their child. There's no nobody that could hold me back from trying to rescue my child if they were trapped under a vehicle. I would be doing it. Somebody else call 911. I cannot talk. If there was three other men there, dictate. Yes. Dispatch even told him to be with his son because he may be scared. God bless. So they knew. Yeah. I know everyone acts differently to traumatic events, but to me, the whole situation is odd. Right. And he was telling them what was happening, but he was far away. How could he even know what was happening? So these three men helping, Aaron said they drove up in a big white box truck. But before the police got there, they left. No one other than Aaron has ever seen them, and no one knew where they were. So, correct me if I'm wrong, there was not CCTV footage of the parking lot or the road. Correct, from what I understand. It is a highway, and I don't know that anything's across. But the building, they were parked at the building, but there was no security cameras or anything. Okay. There has been no investigation into Grant's death other than taking Aaron's statement, and then it was closed. Given the assumption that Grant would have to have been dragged several feet across the pavement by his vehicle, many people have called into question the official story behind Grant's death. He had no scratches on his body, no road rash, just blunt force trauma to the back of his head, A single laceration with bleeding on his skull and three bruises, one on his jaw, one near his left hip, and one on his right thigh. Aaron said that Grant was getting something out of the back when it rolled over him and into the ditch. Then at one point he changed his sword. Historians said that it rolled over him, rolled into the street, then rolled back into the ditch. And I'm going to post photos. And after you see these, it makes no sense. So it rolled from the parking lot across a street. He's like saying that. That's one of sto- A highway, yeah. A highway. And then rolled back. And then into the ditch. Yes, all okay. while he's under it. But no scratches. Correct. And like I said, his truck was in park. The keys were in in the ignition still. He was allegedly getting his stuff to go inside. Yet he still had his keys in his truck. And Angie says he would have never done this. His phone was also found near the grass, unshattered. As soon as Grant's mom, Angie, heard about the accident, she rushed to the hospital. Aaron was already assuming Grant would die. He already filled out paperwork to decline an autopsy or post-mortem examination. And since he had custody... Well, here's... Well, I talk about this a little later, but they had been living with their mom for two years. Okay. okay. They had ran away. Okay. Went to stay with their mom. But he still had on paper because I know Max's dad and I have joint across the board Mm -hmm. which means in custody disputes or custody agreements or whatever you can have one like custodial parent that is the medical power of attorney and makes all the decisions for the child but They, you have joint physical custody. We have joint across the board where we both are included in all medical decisions. We both are included in all school decisions. He's, you know, 50-50 with each of Mm -hmm. us throughout the week, throughout the year. So we're joint across the board, but some do have where mom has, you know, primary custody, but 50-50 joint as far as. Right. Yeah, no, it was Dad had it. Yeah. So he could... Even though he hadn't seen his son in two years and they'd been living with their mom. Yeah. Right. And right after Angie showed up, Aaron was lining up a singer for the funeral. What? He was just funeral planning. Yeah. Witnesses at the hospital said they repeatedly heard him tell her that his organs could still be donated up to 9 p.m. that night without the use of a ventilator, which I get organ donation is great it was like he really wanted them to take his organs which makes me wonder if for autopsy purposes you you know what i mean later he won't have those organs or right but i'm even thinking for an 18 year old to die of cardiac arrest i would want some testing to think is think there so some underlying condition that he had is this something that's hereditary that maybe you or i have is this something that maybe gracie has that we need to be checking for But the fact, I'm not saying I think he's guilty, because I don't know at the end of the day, but I am saying, who would refuse an autopsy? Too much information, but my father passed away, an accidental drowning. We still got an autopsy. Right. It it was what we thought it was, but I just... For peace of mind. Yes. And, I don't know, an 18-year-old boy, cardiac arrest... Like, you didn't even... I don't know. It just... Yeah. That really rubbed me the wrong way that his father didn't... I don't know. So, he was just trying to run the show, and he was trying to make all the decisions. Angie requested an investigation, but like I said, they closed it quickly after talking to Aaron. He also refused a forensic evaluation of the truck. So, the police referred to this as a single vehicle accident or rollaway. And I found that in an analysis of single vehicle accidents by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, only 6% of all single vehicle accidents examined were rollaways and did not involve an obstacle of some kind, like a highway in a ditch and rocks. Right. These types of accidents can be caused by faulty cars. But Aaron declined for the truck to be examined, and he drove it himself for months. How could you drive the vehicle? And then he said it was totaled and sold it. Even though it wasn't, he had been driving it. Mm -mm. Why would it be totaled from being in a ditch? Then a little over a week later, Aaron was describing the accident to Angie, and he said Grant was getting gear from the back seat even though he had initially said the truck bed. So oddly enough, everything in Grant's truck was undisturbed, except for his baseball bat that was missing. Mm -hmm. Missing as in, it wasn't there, no one knows where it is. It wasn't beside him or in the truck. So after Grant passed away, his phone was also mysteriously gone, even though they had seen it lying in the grass. But he had the Live 360 app, which a lot of families use, It's basically a location tracker. Someone had it and was traveling with it all day. Aaron told Angie he would handle it. Later, he returned it to Angie and the screen was shattered, as though it had been shattered the whole time, and it wasn't. It wasn't. When the memorial for Grant was held, Aaron gave a speech, and many people found his speech strange. He called Grant's death a godly thing because someone had come to Christ because of this death, I, I know. Don't. Mm-mm. And if all of this wasn't bad enough, Aaron's fourteen-year-old daughter Gracie launched a YouTube channel named Freedom for Gracie, and two videos were uploaded. One was a video testimony from Gracie, and another one was from Anna Smith, Grant's classmate and friend. In the video, Gracie talks about her childhood. It's very hard to watch, honestly. She said that Aaron and Grant never had a good father-son relationship and that was because of their father. She said that she was scared of their father due to his terrifying behavior, and she strongly believes that he killed her brother. And in the video, she alleges that since she was a little girl, her father sexually abused her. She said between the ages of six and eight, she believed he penetrated her with his fingers routinely, thinking at the time that it was a bar of soap, but as she got older, she realized, oh, it was... Oh, my God. She also said she believed her father would take photos of her while coming out of the shower. Years later, when Grant was at a baseball tournament, he got a hotel room and only got one bed. She awoke in the middle of the night feeling something hard against her private area. Jesus Christ. It's hard watching her discuss this in the video. She said that after this, she confided in Grant about what their father had been doing to her since she was a little girl, and Grant said he couldn't keep this information to himself. So according to Gracie, Grant opened up to the Grace Chapel Church pastor, Steve Berger, Berger, I don't know how it's pronounced, about the allegations of abuse in 2018. But at Grant's funeral, this pastor alleged that Grant made this appointment because he wanted to talk about how to be closer to Jesus. Yep. Gracie knew this was a lie. She knew her brother went there to discuss the abuse. In Anna's video, she said she had tried to testify against Aaron Solomon on behalf of Gracie and Grant during continued child protective service hearings, only to be denied by the judge on two separate occasions. She also said that she had told a counselor at Grace Christian Academy about Aaron's abuse, as had Gracie, and nothing was done. Grant's girlfriend, Hannah, also believes that Grant was murdered, and she said that she believes there was malicious intent and foul play by his father. Aaron claimed, like I said, that Grant's truck was totaled, he sold it for insurance money, but Angie tracked it down in Florida and bought it back. Oh, she did? She did. I didn't know this. She she and a private investigator are trying to figure things out because the police are not involved. But she got her own forensics ran on it. Blood spatter was under the truck and inside of the truck. If he was dragged underneath, why would blood be inside of it? Very strange. That's crazy. In her video, Gracie said that her father respected her boundaries for a couple of years after the rape and after she and Grant ran away from Aaron's home to live with their mother. But he began harassing her again as soon as Grant died. She didn't even want to go to school because Aaron would show up disregarding her temporary restraining order. So Gracie had made a restraining order against him. But the school allowed him on their property without ever asking him to leave. She said Grant had a plan to fight their father in court when he turned 18. And when he died, he he was barely 18 because he suspected that the only way his word would be taken more seriously was when he was an adult. So Gracie still stands by her first video confession, even though it's been years later. And she still says her father sexually abused her, abused her mother, and she still believes he killed her brother. She said she's terrified of him for the things that he has done. So Grace Chapel Church in Franklin, Tennessee claims that the allegations are false and that neither Grant nor Gracie ever spoke to anyone about their abuse. They also publicly stated that Aaron Solomon is not a, quote, member of their church, but he attended it for several years, so, okay. Aaron also sent Gracie and Grant to Grace Christian Academy, a separate legal entity that resides on the same campus, shares the same building, and subscribes to the same theological values. And most teachers and students attend Grace Chapel. In 2018, Headmaster of Grace Chapel, Robbie Mason, allegedly forced Gracie into her father's car, despite her begging and pleading with him not to. I did see this video. Messed up. Which was horrible. The church has been busy dishing out cease and desists and lawsuits to people who speak ill of them. I'll be next, I'm sure. No. But I will admit, I don't know for a fact that they didn't know about the abuse. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just... Right. I believe survivors, though. Right. So what is Gracie getting out of this? Right. Angie's spending all of her money on private investigators buying the truck back. What are they getting out of this? Their whole community hates them. It's absurd. So after it was made public that Grant allegedly told the pastor about the abuse, he gave multiple sermons on how he was being persecuted and basically painted a picture that Gracie was a liar. Those are my own words summarizing them. He also endorsed conversion therapy, the Ugandan kill the gays bill, and preached against feminism. So you know he has my blood boiling. Sir, Jesus is about love. He's a very hateful person. And back in 2018, he gave a sermon endorsing the two witness rule. Do you know about this? No. So this was odd to me because I thought this was only a thing with most Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, but this guy was a fan too. So this so-called rule dictates that any allegation of abuse needs to be substantiated by at least two witnesses. So basically, if someone sexually abuses a child, unless two other witnesses saw this happen, it didn't happen. Absurd. That's like, that's all child abuse. Are you freaking kidding me? And again, that's my summary, but look it up. That's basically how people get away with sexual abuse in the church. The current pastor is a man named Rob Rogers. He and several members of the church were concerned with burgers, increased political rants during sermons, and he was referred to by multiple members as a Christian extremist. So basically, that's why he's no longer the pastor in a nutshell. But Gracie and Angie are still shunned by the church and most of the people that go there. And they haven't flat out said so, but their team, Aaron, and even in school related emails for Gracie, parents are mean to Angie in reply alls like, I'm praying for you, or how it's so bad. It is so bad the things are doing. So crap. Aaron has several friends that still attend, and most of those friends occupy positions of power in law enforcement, government, media, and so on. And a couple of the prominent guests at Grace Chapel include Republican State Senator Jack Johnson and his wife Judge Deanna Johnson, who's the judge who signed an order forbidding Angie from seeking legal redress for the abuse. And Judge Johnson also has a history of rulings against victims of abuse and assaults. And I know this is super long and this is a separate thing, but I just want I'm telling you because I want you to know what kind of people are covering for him that are judges and senators. In August of 2017, a 6th grade student was sexually assaulted and raped by several other students in the locker room at Brentwood Academy. When the headmaster found out, he dismissed it and belittled the student. It went to court, but Judge Deanna Johnson said the case had no merit and she dismissed it. She also faced allegations of plagiarism, because her ruling seemed to have been exactly copied from the defense's brief. Her husband, Senator Johnson, allegedly helped cover up the case of a three-year-old child who had been sexually assaulted by a teenage Sunday school teacher at Fellowship Bible Church Daycare in Brentwood. That's an allegation, but there's a lot of covering up for abusers going on, and I'm not saying that everyone who goes to Grace Chapel is a bad person. Or is involved or has anything to do with this. Right. But I'm just saying many churches, regardless of denomination, faith, whatever, are known for being in cover-ups like this, especially when it comes to abuse, because they don't want their friends to look bad. They don't want their church to look bad. Right. I mean, you can name any denomination and somewhere this has happened. Aaron's bestie, Sam Johnson, also attends Grace Chapel, and he was in the spotlight a couple of years ago. When he was filmed harassing a boy wearing a dress to his high school prom. A grown man patronizing and belittling a teenager when he just wants to have a fun night. What a dick. Oh, and he publicly posted that Angie and Gracie bring shame on Jesus' name. This is a child. I Gracie hate these, is a child. I know. Your best friend's daughter, by the way. Like, trash. Also, allegedly, Aaron currently attends the same fundamentalist church that Tennessee Governor Billy attends. I could go on forever and I'm serious, but Aaron has big connections with nonprofits, big name clients from Merrill Lynch, volunteer organizations in Nashville, news people, and so on. So you can see now why no one's covering this. Well, yeah, they don't want to get their. Every. In the like middle of it. He has a picture with everyone in Nashville, basically, but. But you know what? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. For real. And I want. If this is true, I'm not the judge and jury here, but if it's true, all these people need to be taken down too.
0: A hundred percent.
1: So my information is for Medium, all of the official Justice for Grant pages and videos, which I will link up in the show notes. And there's a petition that I'll share that's asking for signatures for the police to open up an investigation. But yeah. No word. This was just, this is appalling. Ugh. It happens way too much. It it just, this whole thing, the more I looked into it, just pissed me off more and more and more. But white men like him, of power, think that they are invincible, but eventually the truth will come out and they will be... I know. I, I just, I can't, I'm just... I look how know. long the Murdochs got away with all the shit that they did. I feel like this is going to be another, another Murdoch, honestly. 100%. And... I, I do too. I'm sorry, but I don't know how people can see her videos and hear her talk about this and just be like, that girl's a liar. How, like, you're not even convinced at all that your you don't friend, even, you quote don't, unquote, did this? You don't even have any questions. You don't even have any doubt. They just blindly are like, uh-huh. she's a disgrace to Jesus. Are you freaking kidding me? She's a child. Like, she and was she's 14 at the time she made the first. And she's seeing these grown adults attack her. It's freaking and, and you are all why, christians i'm right. just saying and you wonder why people are turning away from christianity and organized religion mm-hmm. and you wonder why people don't come forward and then you chastise them and say well if this really happened you should have came forward why so you could ostracize me it's, and call me a fucking liar it's so upsetting you're proving exactly what i'm saying it's it's so uh, it's so awful i could go on and on but Switching gears. Please fucking switch gears. We have four new patrons. (gasps) Awesome. Okay. We have Pira. I think her name's Pira. P-I-R-A. That's pretty. Pira Pira S from Australia. (gasps) Very cool. So we have a few Aussies now, which is cool. I have to look up the rest because I just now added Australia to the map. I see you. It doesn't. Cut it out. (laughs) Yeah. I cut a small Australia out and I've added you. She's. Kind of close to a place called Kangaroo Island, which is where I want to go. Just That's a long flight, Lacey. I know, 24 hours. Ooh, and we have Michelle L. from Maryland. There, is this our first Maryland? We have some bebopping up there. Oh, cool. Yes, thank you, Michelle. And Madeline M. from Arkansas.
0: We she love checked an with us on
1: Insta, and I didn't even realize she was from Arkansas. And we have Kate from Virginia, close to D.C., Super Thank awesome. You Thank you guys so much. Oh, and our lovely listener, Harmony, bought us a few cocktails this week. She said, I usually pick murder pods to fall asleep to, but you guys are so funny, I have to save you for daytime or else I stay up listening. <laughs> no fantastic drink suggestions. I like a Negroni or a Sazerac. That's very kind of you, Harmony. we will drink those. Yeah, it's not true crime, but Scare You to Sleep is one of my favorite podcasts, and it's made for you to relax or fall asleep to. Really? Yes. I'll have to listen to that. Now, all the plugs. You want to join us on Patreon and get stickers, early ad free episodes, monthly bonus episodes, and more? Head to patreon.com slash United States of Murder. Also, if you're near Northwest Arkansas or just want to travel somewhere in May, we will be at True Crime Fest in Rogers, Arkansas on Saturday, May 20th. Tickets are available at allthelostgirls.org. That's in our show notes. This is also where all the proceeds go. All the Lost Girls is dedicated to finding justice for female strangulation cold cases in the United States. And their work is dedicated to the memory of Missy Witt. And the Thursday beforehand, we're doing true crime trivia at a fun wine bar in Fayetteville called Wine You. Wine You. And this is separate. You don't have to go to the True Crime Fest to attend. Just come hang out with us. Play trivia. And we're going to be doing trivia on Little Rock soon. And we'll release all the deets when we know the exact times and stuff. This is a long episode. I'm, I hope you're still okay by this. And I'm sorry, Harmony. I don't think this was funny. I'm sorry. No, this was a super intense episode. This, this was is one of the most intense we've done in a while. Both of them were just yeah. start to finish infuriating. Yeah, Ugh. it was a lot. My mouth is dry. I talked so much. I would give you some of my cocktail, but... This is my second, and it's almost out, too. Oh, gosh. Oof. But also, on a different note, you know, I've been reading. I told you my New Year's resolution was to read books. Yes. Stay off my phone. Yes. So, I just started reading this book called Eat, Pray, Fuck My Life. (laughs) So, it doesn't spell it out. It's just, like, hashtag FML. And it is so funny and so good. It's about this girl who... Finds out her spouse is cheating. She gets divorced. She meets a guy. He love bombs her. Oh, God. And, you know, I mean, she went through a horrible divorce. She was devastated. And she meets this other guy and he's like, I love you. Let's go on a one-month trip across Europe, mm-hmm. all the things. And then 48 hours before they're supposed to leave, he pulls the rug out from under her and Is Like, I think I should just go by myself. So she's like, oh, what? My gosh. what the fuck? So she can either, you know, this is what she's saying to herself: like, yeah. I can either stay here and be fucking sad, <laughs> per usual, because this is my yeah. life, or go to Europe on my own. And so that's what she does. She just goes to Europe for her own self and fun. It's it's so good. I'll have to circle back I'm, around I'm and take it. Yeah, you like really to tell us how it it's is a true story. Journey. It's like her story of love gone wrong and bad tales. and, and how she did and what she did and how like. Your story that's going on now is not the end. Everything that happens is another chapter. That's true. It's so good. That sounds good. There was a, a reel that I saw on Instagram as I was scrolling in the bathtub. In the <laughs> like one does. And it was, there was a reel that she had done, just a silly little reel. And I clicked on her page and her book was on there that she had wrote. And I ordered it and got it in. Oh, that's how you... Okay. That's how I found I it. And I was like, that. this is so fucking good. That's awesome. Hmm. I'm like, everybody get in the bed. I gotta read. <laughs> <laughs> Max, go to bed. Wendy, get in your kennel. I gotta read. Oh my read. gosh, that's funny. I love that. It's really good. I hmm. think you should read it when I get finished with it. It's a super easy, light read. Okay. It's funny. There's some heavier moments, um, but not anything yeah. that makes you like... That sounds good. It's really good. So, hmm. I don't have any of the information with me. But I will plug it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I'll add it to our show notes. It's really good, though. Yeah, so just click on our show notes for anything we talk about. And Any, anything anything we need. Unless we forget. As we're I, one hour and 20 I'm just in. exhausted. Oh, my God, well, I noticed you had a Band-Aid on your hand. Yeah, uh, I did a lot of yard work yesterday. It's and you nothing. have a blister? And I had a blister that, you know, the gloves were on, and I was doing a lot of pulling and all the yard work and i always get blisters from that it's and it popped you don't use your hands <laughs> well then afterwards i went to work out yesterday anyway and i don't know if y'all know what bear crawls are yeah but i had to do them back and forth across the, the floor you? three times with my blister no i'm 100 not doing that it was that. the last day of bear crawls for the month so i did the damn bear crawls anyways goodbye bye